Hey, thanks for listening in after it's been a while since I've recorded anything on this podcast uh, for the church, and uh, but I've been preaching more and more lately and uh, got especially excited about this sermon for our Advent series here at Church 21, so wanted to record that for other people not to miss some of the good news that we find in Jesus' arrival. So here's a little bit of an introduction, and then... Uh, The next clip will be the sermon that was recorded on December 12th, a few days ago from here. Um, So just as we enter into the Advent season, like the Christmas season, one of the biggest themes that we kind of walk through is this theme of waiting and anticipation. Um, Part of that waiting comes with, you know, what we're wishing for, what we're hoping for, what we're kind of wandering through this year. So to put it a few ways, we might be wishing, let's say, to receive a package in the mail or a gift under the tree. Um, In this season, we're also waiting to see people come together, whether that's family coming together, friends coming together after a long time. And even as we approach the end of the year, we're also in this sense of wandering, like we're wandering through this season and wondering what direction the new year will bring. Um, taking inventory of what we've been through this past year and what we hope for in the following year. And each of these things means something to us. Um, For example, we're wishing to receive a package in the mail. And so let's say somebody comes up and takes that Amazon box off your porch. You know, that's going to mean something to you. That's going to bother you at least. Uh, or if you're waiting to see family get together after a long time, it would really mean something to you if that couldn't happen, if there was more lockdowns that restricted our family gatherings, or if borders or flights were canceled, that would mean something to you. Um, but my question today is, what does the arrival of Jesus mean to you? So I'm going to look at a few passages from Luke and Matthew to look at what Jesus's arrival means for you, because that's more of an objective thing. I can go through the scripture as the angels proclaim Jesus's arrival and say, here's what that means for us. But what it means to you is more of a subjective thing. It might mean a lot to you, or it might not mean much to you. You might not be sure what it means to you. Um, But that's what we're going to look at as we go through Luke chapter 2 and uh, a little bit of Matthew chapter 2 to see uh, really what does the arrival of Jesus mean to you as we look at the stories of the shepherds and the wise men and of Simeon and Anna uh, to see how the arrival of Jesus changed their worlds and how it changes ours. So uh, enjoy the word of God as you listen to this sermon and thanks for listening. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It's right here on the screen. It says that in the same region, okay, there's a context here, in the region where they were, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So, um, let me just change one thing. So, I'm going to start off here with the shepherds, looking at who they are, looking at what the Advent means for them, and then what that means for us, the arrival of Jesus, how, how that had an impact on them, what that looked like to them. So who are these shepherds? We might have this cute image of what shepherds are and, and some of these, like uh, if you can see the nativity scene that the school put up, we have a lot of these things that show the shepherds with their staff and we characterize these, these people. But these, these characters are really significant in this story because this was the average Jewish working class. Um, but not even just the average working class. This was the lower class. This was worse than the average class. The shepherds in Judaism were constantly unclean because of their work. They were marginalized. Look, it doesn't say they were working in the city center at the day, um, people of influence. They were in the field at night. These were hardworking individuals. You, you might picture them today like this scene, if this scene was our, our late night Uber Eats drivers doing their deliveries, all of a sudden they see an angel and it stops everything, you know. Usually, these shepherds were not the religiously educated. They weren't the ones, you know, studying the scriptures and going to the temple to see what are these prophecies and how do they make sense. These were the, the average workers. They weren't the rich, influential political crowd. Um, you know, if anything important ever happened, they would hear about it last. They wouldn't be the first audience to hear about this. But they would have a concept of the Messiah. This wouldn't be a foreign idea to them because in their Jewish culture, they would be anticipating, waiting um, on these prophecies like we, like I already mentioned. Um, but in other terms, they would just be going with the flow, waiting for something to happen. Uh, but if some revelation came down from God, for sure it would not come to them first. For sure, if God came down and revealed himself to someone, it would be to the religious experts, or it would be to the political elite, the influential, and then they would spread the news. But this is astounding that Jesus um, orchestrates this, that God orchestrates this through the angels, and the angel just means messenger from heaven, to proclaim something to the shepherds. This is the first um, group that we see after Jesus's birth, that now there's announcement for the shepherds. 
So this is really fascinating. They would go to work as any other day, but this was not like any other day. Um, his arrival changed everything. So what does this mean for them? What was this message? Of, if an angel comes to these shepherds with this important message, what is it? They start off here saying this. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Just meditating on those words, good news of great joy, should speak so deeply to us because we know that feeling of good news. We know what it's like to hear good news and to wait for good news and to finally hear something um, that, but they weren't even expecting. Totally unexpected good news is even better. Just you're going about your day with your nose to the grindstone, you're working hard, and then this angel comes with good news, but it's good news of great joy. And I love to think about that great joy, because can you imagine if this says, the angel came and said, I have good news of somber reverence for you. Now, you know, get down and, you know, uh, take off your sandals and, no, but he says, I have great, uh, good news of great joy. This is a time to leap for joy, to be excited, to anticipate this great joy. I picture it for these angels, like, you know, when if you're given a gift or if you're in on this secret kind of party or surprise and you're, you're waiting for your guest to come or to open that gift, you have this excitement building up in you just anticipating the sheer joy that they're going to experience. That is so fun. Sometimes you have more joy just anticipating the surprise than the person even knows what's coming. So picture these angels with this amazing message of good news of great joy to these shepherds who are totally unexpecting it, unexpectedly uh, good news. So um, they come and they proclaim. So that's the message, but who is the message for? It says that this good news of great joy will be for all the people. I'm gonna keep unpacking this message from the angels because it's so amazing to picture what this good news of great joy means that the angel comes and says, I have good news of great joy for all the people. This is significant because the prophecies of the, the Torah and the Old Testament have always been revealed through the Jewish people. This was the, the people that God had called and chosen and revealed himself to as Yahweh. And he would reveal himself through the prophets to Jerusalem, to, Jew, to uh, the Jewish people people, but always anticipating that this good news is not just for a single nation, ethnicity, people group, but this is for the world. And now we see God's plan coming to fruition a little bit when this angel says that this good news is for all people. It's not just for Jews. It's also for Gentiles. These were the religious categories of the day, Jews and non-Jews. This is for the Jews and the Gentiles. This is for all people. This is not just for some people. Furthermore, for the shepherds, this was not just for the educated people. This was for the uneducated people. This wasn't just for the influential people. This was for the poor people. This wasn't just good news for, for the, the rich, the elite, the powerful. This was for the poor and the marginalized. This was good news. So that alone is amazing. If think of it today, there's no first class and second class. There's no privileged and unprivileged. There's no vaccine passport gets you into this door, but you have to stay out of this door. This is good news for all people. This is good news for all people, he says. 
What's the message? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So even there, just saying this angel comes to say there's a Savior born in the city of David. What does this mean that we're looking at this um, picture of Bethlehem of Judea, the city of David? This would mean something very significant to the people of that time. Um, talking about the theme of anticipation, one of the ways that we celebrate Christmas might be especially with kids, but hey, we all, we all um, have a way of having a, kind of an advent calendar. But for kids, I love what they do, whether it's this calendar of 24 days where each day you get a piece of chocolate and that's a great way of just waiting one day after another till Christmas, till we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. And I love that uh, the kids now have these Lego Advent calendars that I'm jealous I didn't have as a kid because you get a whole little Lego piece every day as you anticipate Christmas. But um, what, I, what I bring that up is because the people of this time, it's like they were living in an Advent calendar. How does that make any sense? They were anticipating every day these signs to come true. They were anticipating um, when, when God made his covenant with the Jewish people through Moses and through David and through Abraham. He said that there will be a king on the throne of David who will reign forever and reign with righteousness and steadfast love and faithfulness. So that means something to these shepherds when they hear that this is good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. All the lights would be going off in their mind. All, this, all, all the points are connecting. Um, they're, they're, they're realizing this is what's happening. History is unfolding because there's a savior being born in the city of David. That's Bethlehem because God had promised that there will be a king from the family of David who will reign forever. And uh, we don't have time to go into all those prophecies today, but we can definitely sit down and look at those sometime. Um, he was not promising a new political leader, a political party, not just a religious institution. That's not the good news of great joy. Not a new movement, not a new charismatic speaker. You've got to come here and, and hear this person. Um, it's not a new Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. It's not some self-help guru who unlocks seven keys to happiness. It's not just a prophet. It's a savior. That's the good news that is being proclaimed from this angel sent from heaven to speak to these shepherds that there's a savior born for you. A deliverer has come. And then... The heavenly host opens up with a song. That's what it shows down here when the angels, uh, uh, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So heaven couldn't hold back when this message finally comes through and how amazing this is, how unanticipated or unexpected it was, although anticipated, what how life-changing this was. They burst out with glory to God in the highest, but then on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That God has looked down with pleasure, not with scorn, and that he's glorified to send this message. He's happy to break open in song 
about what is happening here. So this causes an eruption in heaven and the angels can't hold back. Um, here's what Daniel read for us that is coming to fruition right here. For unto us a child is born. This was written in, by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before these events. A child is born, to us a son is given. And I'm going to skip down here to where he says that his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So that's where the angel says peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here's what the Advent means to them. Here's what the Advent means to these shepherds. All of their priorities are changed in a moment. Everything changes. At first they were totally disregarded by man. Now they find that they are regarded by God in high esteem by their humility, unsuspecting humility. And so they say, let us go and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. That this didn't come from a priest, a prophet, a rabbi, or a teacher, or the religious experts. That the Lord has made known to us. Let us go and see this thing that he has done. And they went with haste. They couldn't wait to go. They couldn't wait to go and see what happened. So they arrived, and they found Jesus, and they made known the good news. They couldn't help but share the good news that they had discovered. They were telling the whoever was there around Mary and Joseph, Guess what just happened? We saw these angels who proclaimed to us this good news. And they proclaimed everything that they heard and that they saw. The angels and their message of salvation for all people. But then they returned. They went back to their fields. They went about their work. But they returned different. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They came as wanderers and they left as worshipers. They came as shepherds and then they found the great shepherd, as Jesus calls himself, the great shepherd. These guys were just welcomed in by the great shepherd, even in his birth. So what does this mean for us? There's three things. And then we're going to look at two more stories. Three things about what this means for us. What does this mean for us? How does this change the world? First thing, it means that God came for you. Imagine that. That we couldn't climb our way to God, so God came down to us. That he wasn't just for one people group, but all people groups. For the Jew and the Gentile. From the social center to the social outcast, God came. And his revelation has been made known to us. It's not far off that we can't understand it. It is here with us. In fact, Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel is what that word means. But he has revealed his word to us in the scripture. These shepherds would have otherwise been prohibited from going to the temple. They weren't allowed. They were unclean because of their work. But now God has come to them and they get front row seats to what God is doing. And that's our invitation as well. Second thing this means for us, God is better than your best occupation. We occupy ourselves with all kinds of things. And yet God is the one who captivates our hearts. These shepherds were going about occupied with their shepherding. They were watching their sheep. All of a sudden, God comes down and shows himself to them. And that all for a moment takes the back seat. They left their sheep. They went to go see Jesus, the Savior King who was born. But we tend to think uh, just we go through our day wandering through our year in our own 
occupations and our preoccupations. Daniel, he's a workman. He's a craftsman. Uh, carpentry and cabinet making. But that's not his biggest identity. He is a workmanship. God says, I will complete the work that I began in you. Okay, so look, you might be a shepherd, but you're not the great shepherd. You are a sheep following the shepherd. Third thing is that our hearts are prepared to find him before our mind is even aware to look for him. The shepherds were not looking for the Messiah, but their heart responded with years of anticipation when they went with haste to go see Jesus. They were strangers who became captivated by the power of the gospel. Believe it or not, our hearts are all longing for God. We are all searching for God. And it's Christ that meets the wandering that we didn't even know we had. Our hearts respond even before our mind is even aware to look for hope in God. Whatever dissatisfaction you experience in life, Jesus fills it with his perfect peace, peace on earth with those with whom he is pleased. So now let's look at another story. Um, Oh my goodness, I've been saying that we're in Matthew, but we were in Luke that whole time. Uh, At least I told you that at the beginning. Now we're going to Matthew. So there's four accounts of the Gospels in our Bible. In the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and Luke tell us about the birth of Jesus, as well as his life and ministry, death and resurrection. And uh, so now we're going to look at Matthew. Go to Matthew 2 if you have your Bible. Or, uh, you know, Scott's got it on the screen for us. We're looking at the first 12 verses. And this, just in the sequence of events, this is going to be about two years after Jesus' birth. But this is still the first encounter for this group of people we're looking at today. So the shepherds met him on day one, the actual birth of Christ. Unto you this day is born a Savior. But now we're going to look at these wise men. So let's read chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Well, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time that star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold... The star that they had seen when it rose, well, now it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. It's an amazing history of King Herod. This was Herod the Great, huge, ambitious king, great um, uh, architectural 
uh, ambitions and achievements, but a very horrible person. He was ruthless. He was jealous. He killed anybody who could threaten his position of power, even his own family, um, who would take over his throne. So that's King Herod. But we see these wise men. These wise men are kind of mysterious. Who are the wise men? So the shepherds were on the bottom rung of the social ladder, but the, the wise men were on the upper kind of esteemed for their highly educated. So you got the, the uneducated, you got the highly educated. Um, it, similarly to the shepherds, they weren't looking for the Messiah. The shepherds were just going through their faith, watching their sheep. Well, the, the wise men from the east, they were watching their stars not anticipating the Messiah, but this was an interesting group. So they came from the area of Babylon, Arabia. This would be like Iraq, Iran in our current ge geography. But this was an eclectic group of a philosophical, spiritual group, kind of observing astrology and different uh, spiritual practices. They had at least some awareness of Judaism from the um, exiled Jews in the area and at least some awareness of the Jewish prophecies to see that when this supernatural phenomenon came about, when this star rose up and it happened to be over the land of Judea, that they took immediate notice that this was a supernatural phenomenon that caught their attention, captivated their attention, and that they had to go and see what this means. And that's where Daniel read at the beginning this prophecy from Numbers 24 in the Torah of the Bible. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books that Moses wrote. In Numbers 24, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So these wise men, the Magi, they're called, where we get our word magician, these magi saw this star looking like a scepter rising up out of Israel and like this star coming up out of Judah. And they immediately recognized or after searching recognized there is a king being born. This signals a king that is being born. So here's what this advent means for them, for the, the wise men. First, it means that a king, that this would be a king who will be their king. They did not belong to the nation of Judea, but they anticipated something as significant as this is not just a new ruler of Judah like King Herod. This is someone greater than Herod. This is a king who will be stronger, will be greater than the kings that we, we know. Um, they bring their gifts to him. They bring their gold, their frankincense, their myrrh. I picture this like an early investment when you know something is just going to become absolutely huge. The gold that I bring today, when this guy is actually king, is going to work out for my benefit. This is like investing in Bitcoin in 2009 before it explodes. These guys know something huge is happening with this supernatural event. I'm bringing my gold, my frankincense, and my myrrh. I'm bringing my treasures to invest and investigate what's going on here. This would be a king not like Herod. Like I said, Herod was, they call Herod the Great for the things he accomplished, but horrible king. Um, but this would be a king who sits on a throne of righteousness, a king whose throne is established in steadfast love. That's the most amazing king you could ever anticipate. 
not an earthly king, but a heavenly king. But then they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is what the Advent means for them. That God himself was leading them. This star rose up over Judea. And they saw it at a distance. And they came to Jerusalem because where are you going to find the best information uh, in Israel? It's going to be in Jerusalem. So they go to find the information. And then they leave from there to find, they realize, okay, clue number two, Jesus is going to be in Bethlehem. That's where the king is born. So they go. And then the star reappears. And they get excited. They get giddy with excitement. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy when they see that star because God is personally contextualizing this message of good news, of great joy for these wise men who know nothing about God and observing his law. They know nothing. If you look at the shepherds and the wise men, these are the socially and spiritually farthest from uh, the nation of Israel. But God is bringing them in, communicating, talking in their own language. You're you're looking after these stars. Well, I'm going to use this star to fix your attention on me. I'm going to move your attention to me with these stars. So God is personally um, orchestrating this choreography for these wise men. And they are excited with great joy. So then they find Jesus and they give... Not only their gifts, but they give themselves. They bow in worship to Jesus, recognizing his heavenly kingship, not just some earthly king. It doesn't even say they bowed to Herod, but they bowed to Jesus. They give him their gifts of frankincense, um, which is used as incense in prayer to God. Myrrh, um, some commentators say this would be like uh, uh, an ointment used in embalming a dead body, which... You know, you could look at what Jesus would later accomplish in his death and resurrection and the gold to signify a king. But this advent meant more for these wise men than they even knew. But here's the thing. They truly became wise men when they found and worshipped Jesus. They were searching for some supernatural experience. And in Christ, they found true wisdom. So what this means for us, three things here, and then we'll go to our last section. Three things. There's a quote here. I forget where I heard this from, but it's really stuck with me. There are as many ways to Jesus as there are people. Think about that. There are as many ways to Jesus as there are people. And we believe, as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But as far as coming to Christ, there are as many ways as there are people. That God would even use the stars to proclaim the way to Jesus is something that only God can do. Shows us, too, that we look for God all the time. We are looking for God in everything we do. We look for God in our wealth, in our status, in our accomplishments. We look for God. There's a quote I don't even know. But that every man who walks into a strip club is looking for God because he's searching for an experience that the world cannot offer. And you will never be satisfied until finding your satisfaction in God. Our hearts are all longing for God, truly. We are not just human beings. We are spiritual beings created to know and worship God. God even does this today. 
there's actually a woman in our church in a different location who encountered God through this kind of way. She was into all kinds of spiritual practices and eventually opened her life up to a demonic influence. She couldn't even sleep. These demons were so hard. And finally, she's a, she's a musician and a YouTuber. God used a message written to her on her YouTube channel to say, hey, go pick up a Bible and read what it has to say. She went right to the nearest local bookstore and went to the counter and said, uh, where can I find a Bible? Well, it just so happened that that night, two of uh, the leaders in our church were going out for uh, beer and chicken wings. And, and our friend Andrew prayed that night, hey, God, would you just give us an opportunity to help someone and share the gospel tonight? And then they went on their way. But they stopped at the bookstore first before going to the pub. And they were standing in the religious aisle and heard this girl at the counter say, where can I find a Bible? And the clerk points them over there. She comes and there they are with all the Bibles to say, hey, which, here's a, this Bible. We can give you this Bible, etc., etc." But not just that. How can we help you? Let us pray for you. They prayed for her. She was able to sleep that night. The demons were gone. God can use anything to bring us to him. And he can cross our paths in just the right way that points us to finding what we need in him. He still does this today. The third point here, he is the better king. He is the better king. Um, he's better than our wisdom and power. We are not such wise men. And he is better than the power and wisdom of Herod. He is a better king. So we come and worship him. So now let's go back to Luke. These are the, we've looked at these two characters, the shepherds and the wise men. Spiritually and socially, the farthest you would picture from God's revelation. But yet God comes to them first. Now we look at Simeon and Anna. I love those names, Simeon and Anna. If anyone has two kids, you should name them Simeon and Anna. These aren't characters you see in uh, the nativity scene. Sometimes when you see this thing with Mary and Jesus and Joseph, you see the shepherds with their staff, and you see the wise men with their crowns and the gifts. But you don't see Simeon and Anna. But I think they really should be more uh, prominent, significant to us. So let me just read to you from uh, the next slide. Um, here in Luke chapter 2 and in the timeline here okay we saw Jesus one day old we saw Jesus two years old this Jesus was about 33 days old we know that because uh, he's going to the temple for the purification which happened 30 days after his birth um, so it says here when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses which you can read in Deuteronomy they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord I'm going to skip down a little bit here just to point out um, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, this man, Simeon, here's what he does. He takes Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God. And he says this, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That is Simeon. And I'm going to skip down to Anna. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. She lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So who are these people? We saw the... Uh, the shepherds, the wise men. Now we see Simeon and, and Anna. We saw those who were really kind of not looking for the Messiah. They weren't really aware until God kind of came in, interrupted things, kind of revealed himself all of a sudden. But these characters are different because they were waiting for the Messiah. They were actively waiting for the Messiah, looking for him. So Simeon, he was an old man. He was righteous and devout. If this is uh, life goals, Simeon is life goals. He was righteous and devout in his old age. Um, he followed God and he walked the walk, didn't just talk the talk. And he was waiting for something. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he wasn't getting, picture this, he wasn't getting caught up in the dramas and the, you know, the speculations about what this leader is going to come and do. He was just waiting. No, things come and go. Rulers come and go. Leaders come and go. Movements come and go. But I'm waiting on the consolation of Israel. He's waiting on God's sovereign promises. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This was a big deal because God had a mission for Simeon. When it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him, that's God himself in spirit guiding him. Um, we see in this Old Testament, first book of the Bible, God re um, reveals himself as the Holy Spirit to certain people at certain times for a certain mission to accomplish something supernatural. But there's also the prophecy in Joel that says, one day I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all flesh and all believers will receive the Holy Spirit. But Simeon is in this unique place where God comes to him and he whispers to him, so to speak, you, you're, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. That's an amazing just personal prophecy. Like, hey, you know, he might have had some close calls coming, but it's not my time yet because I have not met the Lord's Christ. Um, so that's uh, Simeon. And then there's Anna. She was a prophetess. So that means she's speaking these oracles of God. She was devoted to spending her time with God at the temple. Fasting and prayer, it says. So she was probably married around age 13 or 15 years old. And then lived with her husband for seven years. All of a sudden she was a widow at 20 years old. But instead of going to live with another man, instead of going to move in with her parents, she moves in with God. She just goes to the temple. She spends her time at the temple. She's devoted to God through uh, prayer and fasting. And now she's 84 years old. Spent her time, her life, talking with God. And all of a sudden, she's here at this moment where Jesus arrives. Simeon realizes this is the Christ. This is the Savior come for us. And Anna uh, just can't hold back as well in sharing the good news that the Redeemer has finally come to the people of Jerusalem. So here's what the Advent means for them. And then we'll, I'll close with what this means for us. Here's what it means for them. Their waiting was fulfilled. 
Finally, their anticipation was fulfilled. Their waiting was done. Their longing through all those years, through all the ups and downs, finally in Christ. That, that intimacy that they had with God, righteous and devout man, this woman, prayer and fasting, well, now it was tangible. This relationship that they had with God was not just some experience, but now it was a relationship. And Simeon, this old man, could hold Jesus and proclaim, my eyes have seen salvation. His eyes have seen a lot of things, but nothing new under the sun. But now my eyes have seen salvation. I'm looking at salvation personified, embodied, incarnated in flesh. And Simeon now knows he can die in peace, having seen his salvation. And he says this, though, that this is a salvation that God has prepared in the presence of all people. Again, reiterating, like the angel did, that this is not just for the Jews. This is for Jews and Gentiles. This is good news for all people. And then Anna. Anna, waiting for the redemption of God's people. Waiting for our redemption from sin. Finally, Anna sees that redemption is here. And she starts telling everybody about Jesus. Everybody who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem and longing for him. So what this means for us, three things. One is that in Christ, our first advent has already come. It's already come. The longing and the waiting and the anticipation is here. We celebrate his arrival. The things that we long for in life have been fulfilled in him. But now that changes how we wait, okay? Because now we wait between consolation of our, of, of um, what does he say here? As Simeon says, oh, I forget, the, the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And in Christ we have that. But it's not the consummation of the kingdom of Israel. And what I mean by that is this, the people of God. It's not the nation of Israel. It's the people of Israel, the spiritual followers of God through Christ. Um, this kingdom has been The consolation has arrived, but the consummation of the kingdom is yet to come. And that's why we wait for Jesus' second coming, where he has um, kind of betrothed us to God. He's engaged us to God and given us a relationship with God through his perfect life in our place, through his death in place of our sins. And now we wait for God. So we wait differently. We wait like Simeon and Anna. Let's wait like Simeon and Anna. Let's be known for people who spend so much time with God that we hear from him like Simeon did. Let's be known as people like Anna who spend our time with the true father, the true spouse, who, the true provider who is God, who is Christ. And let's be like Anna who tells everyone about the redemption that we have in Christ. Everyone waiting for redemption. And that's all of us. That's everyone here. We are waiting for redemption. So let's be those who go about proclaiming redemption is here. The wait is over. Christ has fulfilled this. So to conclude here, these three different groups that we see, the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon and Anna, 
They all come from different places, wandering and wishing and waiting, but they all encounter Jesus and leave worshiping. So what does Jesus's arrival mean to you? This is the question I asked at the beginning. Here's what it means for you. A king has come who brings salvation through his perfect life, his death in our place, his resurrection to eternal life. This is what it means for us. But what does that mean to you? It might mean a lot to you. You might not be sure what it means to you. They say it takes 14 seconds to decide whether or not you like a gift. And uh, someone said, well, that gives you 14 seconds to fake a smile. We're pretty good at, you know, putting on that fake smile and saying, oh, this means so much to me. Uh, it's the gift I always wanted and I didn't even know. And, um, we can fool each other pretty easily. You know, yeah, thanks. I love it. Great. But what does it really mean to you? What does Jesus' arrival mean to you? Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, German Christian says um, about Christmas, Advent. He says, the celebration of Advent is possible. Really, the appreciation of Christmas, Jesus' arrival, is only possible to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward for something greater to come. That's what Christmas means to me. That's what the arrival of Jesus means to me. That something greater has come for those in need. So really what this means in our relationship to Jesus as he shows himself greatest, his love to us, greatest not just in his birth but on the cross where he gave his life for us. The smaller you perceive that gap between who God is and where you stand with him the smaller your worship of Jesus will be. If your estimation of who God is and, and your relationship with him is not that big, well then, you know, what did Christ really do for me? I can, I'm a pretty good person. But if that gap between who God is and where I stand with him is an unfathomable gap and the cross of Jesus' sacrifice is the only means that can bridge that gap between me and God, then our lives will be lives of worship, just as it was for the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon and Anna. So with that, 